Hear the word of our Lord from 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in the third verse. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ in the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, this is the word of our Lord, and thanks be to God. But I must warn you that we are looking at an insane mess. The depths of insanity to which very little can be compared regarding the latter half of our reading today in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But I want to emphasize that it is not just a love of money that can lead to all kinds of evils. When he says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. In St. Paul's day, there were ugly, greedy, false teachers that were doing this primarily for worldly gain. But today we're going to be looking at that false alpha who did it for, well, we have no clue, really. His name is the infamous, the one and only David J. Stewart. David J. Stewart. Yes, uh, the proprietor of Jesus-is-savior.com, David J. Stewart. Now, if you do go, if you're listening in your computer here, and you go to Jesus-is-savior.com, you're going to notice a 2001-era um absolutely insane looking GeoCities page. Just shotgun blast, confetti articles everywhere. Um, you're confronted with images of aborted fetuses, uh, cartoons that show the devil and Billy Graham and or some sort of Billy Graham figure and the Pope there holding an NIV saying, we hope you like our Bible. Uh, he has stuff about Wake up, America. 9-11 was an inside job. And the purpose of going to church. Blog. My Facebook page. Ooh. And even a picture of a monkey for some reason. Yes, David J. Stewart, proprietor of Jesus-is-savior.com, is probably the nuttiest website on all of the internet. One of them. Easily. And, uh... This would be one of those people that St. Paul would apply his own passage to, even though David J. Stewart does not seem to make any money on this website. He's been running it since, I think, 2006. And why, why, why would good old Super here put him in the category of false alphas? 
well, first off, just look at the website. It is nuts. But everything here shows us a man who is puffed up. A man who, uh, by his own uh, admission, seems to just have the, uh, how can I put it? He believes he's right about everything. And he wields anathemas, passing them out like candy. Absolutely just like candy. Let's look at his article here, Satanism in the Vatican. Uh, Satanism in the Vatican, if you can find it. I know it's a Where's Waldo type of page where just all of his articles are vomited on there. Please, just David, if you're listening, get a WordPress account, would you? They can archive this a heck of a lot better than you can. But anyway, Satanism in the Vatican. He has a, a picture of uh, what looks to be Pope Benedict there sitting on a throne of St. Peter. So it's got the upside down cross there. Um, and uh, oh yes, he has two links there. Pope John Paul II, burning in hell. And another article link, Popes teach no biblical faith needed for salvation. And uh, you might recognize this type of writing, this kind of site from the last time I talked about Lutheran exposed X D D D D D D D D D D D D D. But let's just read a little bit of this and get the picture of a man who is so puffed up and so self-assured that he has the confidence of a false alpha. So please notice the picture above with an upside down cross. In his article, The Kingdom of Satan, Professor J.S. Malan says this about the inverted cross. This cross is not broken, but turned upside down. It indicates the rejection of Jesus Christ in contempt for the gospel of salvation. Inverted symbols are typical of the opposite values pursued by Satanists. People who are sometimes sacrificed to Satan on Black Sabbath are crucified upside down in accordance with this tradition. And then he has a, a, a Bible verse there. Even now there are many antichrists. 1 John 2 verse 18. Um, now, we understand that sometimes the Pope uses upside down crosses to emphasize that he occupies the chair of St. Peter in his own eyes there. Um, it's not upside down because he's satanic, it's because St. Peter was um, crucified upside down and, uh, oh look, the Pope is the guy on St. Peter's chair. Um, at least, so it is presumed. But we go on. It is easy to find satanic websites and occult stores where you can purchase all types of items with inverted crosses. The upside down cross symbolizes mockery and rejection of Jesus. Necklaces are worn by many satans satanists. It can often be seen on rock singers and their album covers. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14. The bent cross is, an, is a grotesque, emaciated depiction of Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, who died to provide salvation for those who believe in him. This scepter is used by the popes on many occasions. Its occult ramifications and connections cannot be disregarded. Pope John Paul II with frontal view of the bent cross. Pope John Paul II with side view of the bent cross. The Catholic religion also often calls herself the Mother Church. She's not the Mother of Christ's Church. By calling herself Mother, she is telling on herself. Is this the abomination spoken of in the scriptures? The Mother of Harlots, Abominations of the Earth, Revelation 17 verse 5? Hmm... Notice the Catholic religion calls herself a woman. 
The Bible calls Catholicism a whore, and what a great whore she is, committing spiritual fornication with kings and rulers of the earth. Nearly every king throughout history has had some type of political, economic, or religious ties with the Vatican. Read about how Nazi Germany and the Vatican worked together to murder millions of innocent Jews in the Holocaust. The Vatican's Holocaust. She's drunken with the blood of the saints. Study the Inquisitions, the torture and killing of tens of millions of people. Oh, even the Antichrist is naked in light of God's word. Okay, so this guy does not like Roman Catholicism. Again, Pope John Paul II, burning in hell. Well, mm, well, what else does he condemn, though? Is it just, is this just another uh, anti- Catholic website. I mean, obviously there are plenty of those. They are a dime a dozen. Well, no, actually. He condemns everything. Absolutely everything that is not his particular brand of um, fundamentalism here. Orthodox Catholic idolatry. Another article here. Again, sorry if it sounds like I'm doing this a little ad hoc. It's just because you, you open up this website, jesus-is-savior.com, and you find a whole lot of insanity. So, Orthodox Catholic idolatry. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, Isaiah 42, verse 8. Kindly but truthfully, Catholicism is of the devil. Kissing a Russian Orthodox priest's hand. A picture of a woman just kissing a priest's hand. Um... And then he, he puts Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit to yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Colossians 3 verse 18. And then another picture of a priest getting his hands kissed by a, by a couple of what appears to be uh, deacons. More idolatrous kissing. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Colossians 3 verse 18. And there's a girl kissing an icon. Little girl being forced to kiss an icon. Poor child. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Mark 10, verse 14. It greatly angers God when little children are deceived and steered away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And, yeah, there's a, a woman bringing her little baby there to kiss an icon. And it's got Mary, and it's got a, a Christ on it. And, come on, my son, kiss the queen of heaven. Ye worship what ye know not. What? John 4, verse 22. And he has that other picture, guys. Holding a casket for a funeral. Or an icon that they, they're, they're taking through the streets there. Uh, the icons are worshipped more than Jesus. Some of these icons are of mystics, meaning Satan-possessed, like Sergei Radonovishki. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. First John 5, verse 21. These people have religion without Christ. And this is this is a this is his takedown of orthodoxy, the same way he tries to take down uh, Roman Catholicism. Um, a, a patriarch of orthodoxy is shown there, and he's got a uh, he's got a uh, like a scepter with two serpents, you know, kind of like curved in, and there's a cross above them, and. He's saying his two dragons, and notice the phoenix birdies on his hat. Yes, he wrote the word birdies. Uh, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Matthew 23, verse 15. He's bringing in a lot of scripture that doesn't actually 
take down what he's attacking here. But that's not what this false alphas episode is about. This is about David J. Stewart's issue with authority. Because in the Lutheran Church, we hold to something called enthusiasm. We oppose enthusiasm because what is enthusiasm? It is self-belief. How you're feeling ends up being what you believe. Period. If you go to listen to that still small voice upon the mountain to find doctrine, or you try to to hear what God has to say to you so that you can come up with doctrine, you are an enthusiast. If your emotions rule over your doctrine, you are an enthusiast. The same way in the opposite heresy, of course, being rationalism, the belief that your mind, your logic, your reason rules over the scripture so that whatever you're thinking is more important than the word of God itself. And enthusiasm is whatever you're feeling, whatever you believe you've uh, received as a revelation. Enthusiasm and rationalism might be opposites, but they are absolutely entwined. They are tied at the hip. Most enthusiasts believe themselves to be quite rational, and they are really, really great at getting that rationalization hamster wheel to spin really, really quickly to uh, make whatever they're presenting to you uh, to make it sound really smart. In the same way, uh, rationalist heretics will put themselves up on a pedestal in their mind, and then they'll try to, they'll try to sex it up a little bit. <laughs> they'll try to They'll try to make it really emotional to, to bring you to, to agreeing with whatever doctrine they came up with in their head. So a good example of this, and this is going to sound controversial, but okay. Uh, in Calvinism, five-point Calvinism, they call themselves uh, people who hold to the doctrines of grace. Now, they believe in limited atonement. They believe that God doesn't love the people that Jesus didn't die for, uh, and he actively chose for them to be in hell via, pre, you know, double predestination. So Jesus didn't die for them. Now, they don't get this way through the scripture. Obviously, we know John 3, 16, um, God so loved the world. And St. Peter talks about heretics for whom Christ died that are under judgment, meaning, yes, Jesus died for them too. But you don't get at that limited atonement through the scriptures. You get there through reason. And then you uh, rationalize and uh, try to bring the scriptures to heal to your rational argument. And then in addition to this, what do, you, what do you get? What do you get? You get an emotional version or vision of it. Oh, this is all about grace. Oh, how great is it that Jesus died for the ones he came to save. Isn't that so great? And you know, you really do hope that you're part of the elect, that, that he died for you. Maybe. But we're not going to talk about that maybe part. We're going to just talk about how great it is and how, you know, God hates sinners. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to bring in, the, in emotions there to, to come in with our reason. Rationalism and enthusiasm go together, and David J. Stewart is no different here. So we bring in, for instance, all these articles. He has a ton of stuff about his 
vision of uh, salvation. What is the Bible way to be saved? Uh, Baptists and fundies love to have all these articles of how to be saved. Ye must be born again. So great salvation. Well, let's take a look at this. Ye must be born again by David J. Stewart, JesusIsSavior.com, April 2005, updated 2017. What does it mean to be born again? The term born again first appears in the Bible in John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou dost except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. An unsaved man once said to me, that born-again stuff makes no sense to me. Perhaps you feel the same. There are how-to-be-saved articles all over the internet, and I'm thankful for them all, but many people want a complete explanation of what it means to be born again. Why do we need to be born again? What does that mean? That is my purpose in this article, that is, to explain in this great biblical doctrine in layman's terms. Please give me a moment, and I will make it plain as you've ever heard. Most people have religion, but very few people have ever been biblically born again. Unless you are born again, you absolutely cannot go to heaven. John 3, verse 5. Simply put, to be born again means to have he, Jesus, who is the beginning born in you. Revelation 1, verse 8 said, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, respectively. Man by birth is spiritually dead, which I will explain further in a moment. To be born again is a miracle of God by which Jesus Christ comes into your body to live, literally in the form of the Spirit of God. Hmm. Did you notice that? Literally in the form of the Spirit of God? That's modalism. Saying that Jesus Christ comes into you in the form of the Spirit of God. Okay, so J David J. Stewart, the guy that loves to come down on the Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox and all sorts of Protestants. He rejects the doctrine of repentance. He rejects so much of that. Is a modalist? Um, okay. Romans 8 verse 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, obviously, this is a man who does not understand that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, proceedeth from the Father and the Son. Sorry, Orthodox friends, it says it's the Spirit of Christ. And if the Holy Spirit is not the Spirit of Christ, then we would not have a verse like this. Anyway, to understand what it means to be born again, it is necessary to understand that there are two births. The first birth is the physical birth. Uh, when you were born into the world from your mother and father, when the Bible speaks of being born of water, it is speaking about the physical birth, parentheses, not baptism. Ah, yes, now he's doing this wingly bit, saying that your physical birth is a birth where the water, Jesus speaks of, is the, uh, the fluids that are around you when you are but a fetus, and that all spills out. That's not in the text, by the way. The text says water. 
not amniotic fluid, water. And they knew the difference back then, by the way. Because if you've ever watched a live birth, it doesn't look like water. But he says the second birth is a spiritual birth, which means to be born of the spirit. That is God's Holy Spirit. Why does a person need to be born spiritually? What is a spiritual birth? So already we've seen a lot of enthusiasm with the uh, extreme way that he loves to make connections between a picture of an upside down cross and the Pope and claim that the Pope is going to hell because he feels like it. I mean, he just knows in his heart that he's unsaved. I mean, just listen, he's telling the truth. But in addition to this, we see rationalism too, where he's willing to say, well, born of water means born of physical birth, uh, water and the spirit. It's speaking of two births. It, never mind the fact that Jesus says it is one birth of water and the spirit. No, 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 no. We're going we're gonna to reword this to mean two births, first of the water and then the spirit, because I really, really, really want it to be that way. There's my enthusiasm, and now I'm going to use my reason to take what the text says, and uh, I'm going to argue away everything that I don't like. I'm going to be very logical here. Now, he talks a lot about the new birth, and he talks about how to be born again biblically. Oh, boy. How to be born again biblically. The way we become born again is found in the word of God, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. 1 Peter 1 verse 23. We are born again by the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. John 1 1 and verse 14. Revelation 19 verse 13. The following statement sums it up pretty good. If you're born once, then you die twice. If you're born twice, then you die once. If you don't receive... Jesus Christ and become a born-again Christian, you will sadly burn in hellfire for all eternity. John 3, verse 18 and verse 36, Revelation 20, verse 15 and 21, verse 8. Perhaps you say with the man I mentioned earlier, that born-again stuff makes no sense to me. Well, most people can't explain how a black cow can eat green grass, give white milk, and then it's turned into yellow butter, but they still eat it. My friend, you don't have to figure everything out to be saved. You just need to trust upon Jesus the Christ, the only begotten Son of God. And being born again means having he who is the beginning, Jesus Christ, born in you. Again, Revelation 1 verse 8. Isn't that beautiful? When a person is born again, the spirit of Christ comes to live in that person's body. This birth comes about only through faith in the Son of God. The good news, the gospel, is that it's very easy to have the second birth, the spiritual birth. God came down to this earth 2,000 years ago and took upon himself the form of a man. That man was the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 3.16, literally the Godhead became incarnate. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus never sinned even once. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again after three days. Jesus shed his precious blood to pay for all our sins um, and applied that blood to the mercy seat in heaven. My friend, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who died, was buried, and rose again for our sins, your sins, and you've made that your hope in heaven by believing on his name, then you are a born-again child of God. Jesus is the Savior who paid for our sins. If you realize that you're a guilty sinner, then you simply need to believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ to have your sins forgiven. Believe that Christ died and was resurrected, shedding his precious blood to wash away your sins. All God the Father asks is that we come for salvation by way of the cross, upon which his Son, Jesus Christ, died. Um, so, about that, 
You'll notice he didn't talk about baptism because he doesn't want to talk about baptism. He doesn't believe baptism does anything, no matter how many times the scripture does. So he's come up with an intellectual or notitia-based soteriology. Why? Because he is an enthusiast and a rationalist. As an enthusiast, he wants salvation to be easy. As a rationalist, he wants to explain away everything that makes salvation look, well, just a little hard to his uh, earthy heart. In fact, when we talk about the, the desire for ease here, this false alpha, this man who stands upon his own ivory tower telling you how it really is, doesn't believe in repentance. He sees repent and believe the gospel. Anyone who teaches salvation or bettering humanity without including the cross of Jesus Christ is teaching religious humanism. Okay, that's true. No one can be saved apart from the cross. That's true. Having faith in Jesus is in not God's plan of salvation. Many people believe on Jesus, but they have left out the cross. To be born anew by the Spirit of God, you must include the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. That is the gospel according to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Acts 20, verse 21 states, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith are inseparable. Repentance is simply a change of mind that involves turning to Jesus Christ to be forgiven of one's sins. Oh, really? We repent of our unbelief and from dead works of self-righteousness, which cannot save. Well, wait, wait, wait. He cites Hebrews 6.1 here, and he says dead works of self-righteousness. And he cites Hebrews 1, but he doesn't include the text there. I wonder why. Let's let's open up our Bibles here and, and read this up. I know this sounds really, really stream of consciousness, this episode here on false alphas. Um, that's kind of because David J. Stewart is a master of the stream of consciousness fashion of writing. But Hebrews 6.1, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Um, it doesn't say dead works of self-righteousness. It says dead works. In other words, uh, sins. Sins. Um, and even there's a sense even where there even your own righteous deeds as a non-believer are dead works because it's impossible to please God without faith that is in Hebrews chapter 11 but he says that and he inserts that just a little bit so that he can continue building his doctrine here that repentance doesn't really mean repentance the words believe and believeth appear 85 times in the Gospel of John, but the word repent isn't mentioned even once. Obviously, the person who believes has repented. A repentance unto salvation does not mean a change of life, but rather a change of mind. Repentance is a change of mind from thinking wrong thoughts to believing the Gospel. Mark 1 verse 15, repent ye and believe the Gospel. The object of repentance is to believe the Gospel, not to clean up one's life. When a man repents, he believes. There is a popular false teaching in most churches today that says a, a person must try to stop sinning to be saved. That is self-righteousness. Now, I don't know any single church that says a person must try to stop sinning to be saved. Obviously, yes, the Roman Catholic Church might put it that way. The Eastern Orthodox Church might put it that way. But even Protestant churches will say 
No, it's that you as a Christian, as somebody who wants to be a Christian, should not want to sin. We're called to repentance because that's what Christians do. And we will say that, yes, if a person engages in mortal sin, they're engaged in two sins. There's the sin that they are committing, but there's also the sin of idolatry. One of the reasons mortal sins are mortal sins is because it constitutes a rejection of faith in Christ. Impenitent sin, when you are not repenting, not wanting to please our Lord, that means your heart is turning away from God. That's biblical. That is absolutely biblical, but he does David J. Stewart doesn't want that. And we'll get to one of the reasons why, but David J. Stewart definitely doesn't want that to be true. But he, he continues, um, there is a popular false teaching again in most churches today that says a person must try to stop sinning to be saved. That is self-righteousness. Uh, why did God kill a man for picking up sticks on the Sabbath day? Don't add to the gospel. Salvation happens when a person acknowledges their guilt of sin and comes to God on the basis of being a hell-deserving sinner, believing on Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, for forgiveness. Acts 10, verse 43. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Now, you might notice there's a little bit of inconsistency here. Through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remissions of sins. And he's quoting that as the guy that says the Pope's going to hell and all the Orthodox Christians are going to hell and all of the Roman Catholics are going to hell. A whole lot of people who believe in Jesus, however imperfectly, are going to hell. Now, don't get me wrong. I am a confessional Lutheran. 1580, Book of Concord waving confessional Lutheran. I will tell you that the Church of Rome has extreme serious issues. I will confess that the seat of the Pope is the seat in office of Antichrist. And I will tell you that yes, there is an extreme danger for so, so, so many Roman Catholics who are never given the gospel and they're never taught to trust in Jesus for their salvation. There is, however, felicitous inconsistency where a Roman Catholic may actually be saved. He might not even believe in sola fide. He might not think that he's justified by faith alone. But he's heard the gospel, he believes Jesus died for his sins, he trusts in Jesus for his salvation, and however imperfectly he may believe, he's still saved. Yes, he is still going to go to heaven because he is a baptized believer in Jesus Christ. It is not on me to judge every single individual Roman Catholic calling them evil idolaters. Or if I see an Eastern Orthodox individual kissing an icon, I'm not going to say that person is hellbound. But here he is citing Acts 10.43 because he wants the gospel to be very, very easy, but also very, very hard at the same time. The same tension existing between enthusiasm and rationalism. Most enthusiasts are rationalists and most rationalists are enthusiasts also results in a tension in his soteriology where being saved is super duper easy and you don't even have to quit sinning. Uh, but by the way, in addition to that, you know, you, uh, <clears throat> you really got to believe in Jesus in exactly the right way, in accordance with how I believe in Jesus, or else you're going to hell. Suddenly, it's really, really hard. J. 
Jesus came to save sinners. You may pray a sinner's prayer if you like, but you don't have to. Salvation is of the heart, Romans 10.10. If you'd like to pray, simply admit that you were a guilty sinner for breaking God's commandments. Tell Jesus that you believe he died, was buried, and rose again. Ask Jesus to forgive your sins and tell him that you're receiving his sacrifice as payment for your sins. It matters not exactly what you pray, just as long as you realize these two main truths. You were a guilty sinner in the eyes of a holy God for breaking his commandments. Jesus is the precious Savior who died on the cross for your sins, was buried and bodily resurrected three days later. You don't even have to pray a prayer to be saved. Just believe in your heart. But if you'd like to accompany your faith with a prayer of confession, you may say something like this. And he concludes like a sinner's prayer here. And <clears throat> you've noticed that there's, there's no concept of sanctification here, of what happens after you're saved. But let's keep reading. Let's skip ahead a little bit. Just take God at his words and claim his salvation by faith. Believing you will be saved, no church, no lodge, nor any amount of good works can save you. Remember, God does the saving, all of it. I agree, God does all the saving, yes. Man's part is to believe. God does the saving. Being born again is a supernatural miracle of God in response to a man's faith in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's simple plan of salvation is you're a sinner. Therefore, unless you believe on Jesus who died in your place, you will spend eternity in hell. If you believe on him as your crucified, buried, and risen Savior, you receive forgiveness for all your sins and his gift of eternal salvation by faith. You say, surely it cannot be that simple. Yes, it's that simple. It is a scriptural. It is scriptural. It is God's plan. My friend, believe on Jesus and receive him as Savior today. Oh, that sounds so great. I'm so tired of churches being satisfied. Somebody needs to fire up for God and realize we don't have much time left. Jesus is coming again. We better charge hell and we better do something about the fact that people need to be born again. Pastor Jeff Owens from the Timeless Sermon titled, Our New Year Plan, Glorifying Him. Now he repeats himself over and over and over and over again saying that salvation is a free gift. And there's imputed righteousness, and that sounds all very, very good. Um, and then he more or less just decides you don't need to do good works. That's not a, a good, uh, it's not a good fruit of faith that we need to have. No, 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 no. Don't you dare lay any burdens on anybody. Now, maybe his soteriology is different from his uh, pneumatology and his anthropology, talking about uh, how we are sanctified to do good works. Maybe he's read Ephesians, where St. Paul writes that we were saved in order that we may do good works. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Let's turn here to the book of Ephesians and read that, because I think it's it's good to know that repentance and cleaning up your life are part of the package here. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 8, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. David J. Stewart doesn't like that, so he doesn't bring it up. Because a big point in salvation is that, yes, you are a sinner, but God wants you to not be a sinner anymore, and he understands that you cannot save yourself. So when you are saved, as a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit works on you. 
so that you do good works and stop doing bad works. David J. Stewart doesn't want that because he's an enthusiast that wants it easy. He wants it to be easy. But he doesn't actually believe that it's easy because otherwise he wouldn't be a Gnostic. And I know that I'm repeating myself a lot. David J. Stewart repeats himself a lot. But that's the thing. Now, here's the interesting thing, though. He, yes, he repeats himself a whole lot. And that's kind of the point. He's, he's not really just exegeting the text of Scripture and teaching it to people. Uh, David J. Stewart is standing upon his throne demanding you believe as he does that salvation is super duper easy if only you believe the gospel exactly the same way and in the same fashion that he believes it now david j stewart also hates tv he calls it hellavision he hates rock music he calls it the devil's music he hates bible translations that are not the king james version now that's what brings us to a blog called davidjstewartexposed.com. Oh, yes. davidjstewartexposed.blogspot.com. I'll include a link here on the SoundCloud page. David J. Stewart wants salvation to be easy because David J. Stewart has some skeletons in his closet. So uh, from the Pacific Daily News here, it is July 28th, 2009, uh, on the David J. Stewart exposed uh, blogspot.com, David J. Stewart indicted for sex with minor. He pled guilty to child abuse. And he's, uh, he's removed a lot of stuff from his website, <laughs> removing evidence for a lot of his, uh, of where he was and who he really is. But David J. Stewart of Jesus-is-savior.com was indicted in January 2009 for sex with a minor. He preaches a lot in his site regarding the evils of sexual immorality. He states it is illegal in this country for adult men to have sex with minors, uh, whether the girl consents or not. Statutory rape laws exist to protect young girls from predatory men. Um, what follows is the result of a thorough investigation which shows that David J. Stewart is hypocritical in his personal behavior and teaching. We will show that he is the same person mentioned in several Pacific Daily News articles from January 2009 regarding the indictment of a David John Stewart on charges of engaging with insects with a minor. His location may prove that he was in Guam and on the uh, original unaltered text from the Wayback Machine, David J. Stewart talks about living in Guam. <laughs> my apologies that's unprofessional of me but he brings up a screenshot that he said he's living in guam and oh the pacific daily news is from guam and uh he tries to change the pages after they bring the information to light his full name being david john stewart and there's public news articles about his sexual misconduct let's look at that for a moment uh criminal sexual conduct charge david john stewart 41 uh, Second-degree criminal sexual conduct as a first-degree felony. Uh, according to the magistrate's complaint, on or about the period of January 1st, 2006 through December 31st, 2006, Stewart allegedly engaged in sexual contact with a teenage girl known to him. And uh, in January 28th, 2009, 2.15 p.m., Stewart indicted on criminal sexual conduct charge. 
indicted as a first-degree felony and child abuse as a misdemeanor, said Eric Palacio, spokesman for the Office of the Attorney General in Guam. According to the magistrate's complaint on or about the period of January 1st, 2006 through December 31st, 2006, Stewart allegedly engaged in sexual contact with a teenage girl that was known to him. They, it's so repeated over and over and over again. David John Stewart had sexual relations with a teenager against the law. And he apparently was convicted on some sort of plea. He didn't go to jail and was able to keep updating his website. Um, now, this guy here at this blog, Lord knows maybe he's a little bit obsessed. Um, but he went to his MRI scans that were on jesusasavior.com to show his back issues that included his birth date, which matches the birth date for David John Stewart in Guam at the court records. He showed that, yes, he's the proprietor of that, but it, it's not just that David J. Stewart um, fell in love with a teenage girl and started touching her inappropriately. Um, no, it's more than that. There's a additional things that make it really hard to trust him. You see, later on, after he was indicted for child abuse, uh, he comes up with a plenty of fish profile, a dating profile, where um, it's not bad for even a fundamentalist Baptist to have a plenty of fish profile here, but he puts himself as a religion, a Christian, other, body type, average, not a smoker, um, divorced, has a child, a divorced okay and his job is with the government um all right that maybe that doesn't tell me a whole lot except that wait he's divorced and this is a man who says that divorce is a big and terrible evil but in addition to that on his plenty of fish profile what does he like to say he likes he likes rock music his about me I like sunsets, movies, barbecue, cooking, Hawaiian steel guitar, etc. I respect others and I'm friendly to people. I like to keep a sense of humor. Um, as a musician, I appreciate all kinds of music, but I like the pretty music the best. Now, this is a man that says movies are evil. Hollywood is Satan's Hollywood. Uh, television is Hellavision. And now, by the way, he also plays uh, steel guitar. Now, he's said uh, Michael Jackson and his music are of the devil. He said that uh, all rock music is sinful and rock music is a spiritually deadly creature which should be avoided. These are all quotes here. Um, he's on a dating service. Now, David J. Stewart exposed.blogspot.com talks about how he, uh, it's hypocritical of him to be on Plenty of Fish because they promoted uh, Adult Friend Finder, the, the sex personal site. And he's saying that by being on this site and having a profile on it, he is promoting adultery. But on his Plenty of Fish profile here, it's not about the fact that he just has a dating profile. It's that he says he likes Michael Jackson, the Beatles, the Bee Gees, Boston, and the Beach Boys. In other words, if he said Michael Jackson and his music are of the devil and then he likes listening to Michael Jackson, we're getting... We're getting a clue here as to why he wants salvation to be so darn easy. Because he likes listening to devil music, doesn't he? He, he wants us 
to see salvation as not having repentance for anything because he's a divorced man that got indicted for having sexual relationship with a kid. He wants it to be salvation according to his own version of the gospel because otherwise he would have to repent and stop living the way that he does. And also it might mean that he has to do things and he really doesn't want to repent. He does not go to church on his Plenty of Fish profile. It says um, he doesn't go to church at all. That's not his thing. Hmm. So here's a man who decided he wanted to, to, to be in his own ivory chair. He wanted to be the alpha that could tell people whether or not they're going to hell based on whatever it is he made up, whatever associations he made up. He doesn't want to submit himself to, or to any sort of authority. And then, oh look, oh look, he's got a past. He's screwed up so badly in his life that he doesn't want to go to church. He has bad habits that at least he thinks are sinful that he doesn't want to give up. And he doesn't want a pastor to be there to tell him to quit it. So he says, you know what? I don't have to repent. I'm not going to go to church. I don't do that. Uh, repentance, that's, uh, <laughs> that's just fake anyway, right? Repentance doesn't really mean repentance when the Bible says to repent. Uh, no, 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 no. Let's, let's, um, let's make some very emotional, very enthusiastic appeals to, to what I say the gospel is. And then let's rationalize the hell out of it to get myself out of the trouble I've gotten myself in. That's a false alpha, fellas. That is a false alpha. And again, I am sorry that this is so stream of consciousness. It is like this guy's website is just a shotgun confetti blur. And his life just demonstrates that he wants to judge everything so he'll stop judging himself in accordance with his seared guilty conscience yeah uh -huh. we're gonna find a whole lot of false alphas are just like that amen and amen